0: Good morning, New City. I'm Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here, and I wanted to introduce you to somebody I'm pretty proud of—my daughter Madeline. So, Hi. <laughs> okay. Is that it? that's it. Okay. okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, I meant for you to meet my whole family, but we couldn't get our act together this morning. Anybody else struggle with that on a Sunday morning? A <laughs> um, little miscommunication. Um, well, it's a it's a joy and an honor to be with you um, today, and um, I'm just excited that I get the privilege of, of sharing what God's been teaching me um, all week uh, with you today, because that's really how I view this, is like when you preach and teach, it's like God's teaching you something all all week, and then when I get up here, I just feel like it's a, it's a chance to share um, what God's shown me this week, so I hope that's helpful to you today. Um, So today we're going to be in James chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 12, which we just read, which is all about our words. So um, it's an incredibly spiritual passage. It's incredible, incredibly uh, pragmatic, practical passage as well. So I hope it's really helpful to you in your life immediately following um, church today. Um, And where I want to start is actually the beginning of the story of God if you remember the way that the Bible starts, the story of God starts, it's a, it's a powerful passage, passage in Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and so there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. I want you to catch, there was emptiness, there was darkness, there was nothingness, except for God himself. And then God spoke. He said, let there be light. And so there was light for the very first time. If you think about the power of that passage, that with his words, God created time. And if you read further in that passage in Genesis 1, you find out that with his words, God creates everything in all of the creation. With his words. And so what we see here is that God's words built the world. God's words built The world. And here is the the, the crazy thing that we're going to explore today together, is the idea that your words build worlds too. That your words build worlds too. And this is part of what it means to be made in the image of God, uh, to have a bit of the, the spark of God in you, is that uh, for some reason, God gives us also the power of words. It's one of the things that separates us from the rest of creation. We're the only, only beings that have words and that our words build the world around us in a powerful way. As I was thinking about uh, this concept, I, I thought actually about, about my grandparents, and, and both of them are, are passed away. But I, I wanted to share the story of, of my grandparents. This is on my dad's side, his mom and his dad. Uh, and, they, and they couldn't have been more different people. Uh, my, my grandmother, Polly, her name was actually uh, Gladys Pauline Twitty. That was her maiden name. Um, what a name, Gladys Pauline. But to, to me, she was grandmother Polly. And grandmother Polly... Uh, lived with us actually most of the time that I was, I was growing up. We had a bonus room that we turned into a little apartment, and so she lived there with us from the time I was about seven years old. And the reason that she lived with us was because uh, my grandparents were, were divorced. And the reason that they were divorced was that my, my grandfather, his name was Julian, um, was an abusive man. And the main way that he was abusive was with his words. And so I, I got a front row seat to see this, this dichotomy, this difference of two lives. On, on the one hand, my grandmother Polly uh, used her words in, in, to, to bless, um, to speak life. And, and the thing that I remember most about growing up with my grandmother Polly was that uh, whenever she had the opportunity, she was trying to encourage you. I mean, whenever you would walk in the room, she would tell you how amazing you were. And it was amazing. On her birthday, get this, on her birthday every single year, my grandmother Polly would send everybody else a birthday card. True story. Saying how grateful she was that you were in her life. You see, my grandmother Polly had a legacy of using her words to breathe life into everybody around her. And I get broken up thinking about it because it's such a rare thing in this world, isn't it? My, my grandfather, Julian, he, he, was, he was the other way. Um, he, he verbally, mentally, emotionally abused his family. Eventually, my grandmother couldn't take it anymore. When I was a baby, they were, they were divorced. And, and since becoming an adult, I've talked to my dad a, a lot about, you know, his childhood But the way that the the only memory I have of my grandfather is is of the violence of his words in a particular moment. And I won't go into that story, but it was a time uh, where he had a conflict with my dad in our home, and it was the last time he was ever allowed to be in our home because my dad didn't want us to be be around that kind of verbal abuse and violence. And for my father's entire life, um, he he struggled with. Um, the violent words of his father. And so my grandfather's legacy of words was absolute destruction. And and by the time he died, uh, I I don't know that there was more than two or three people at his funeral. Um, He's never talked about or remembered because uh, the way that he used his words did not leave a legacy of life. And I think about the story of Polly and Julian and the contrast of their lives, and it's and it's like a poignant and stark reminder to me, and I hope to you today, that we all have a legacy of our words that we'll leave behind. Have you ever thought about that? That there's a legacy of words. You only have a certain number of words that you'll speak in your life. It's a limited quantity. That was something that like hit me as I was studying for this passage that like our words aren't endless. We have a finite amount. We don't know how many we have, but we have a certain amount of words that we're going to speak in our lifetime. And what will the legacy of those words be? Will it be a legacy like Polly of speaking life and encouragement? Will it be a legacy of Julian speaking death and destruction? What will, you, will your legacy of words be? Well, that's exactly what our passage wants to invite us into today. So we're going to continue in our, our series in the book of James. If you remember, the book of James is, is like a book of Proverbs, essentially. It's a wisdom book in the New Testament. Um, and it's, its thrust is really teaching us uh, how to live a wise life as followers of Jesus and so it's don't miss that throughout the, the, the book of James, he references the power of words many times. But this in chapter 3 is, is the most prolific part of his teaching. And I think that the central idea here for James is really this idea that our words build worlds. Our words build worlds. So the question is, how do they do that? That's a crazy idea. How do they do that? And so James is going to take us through Um, that and show us how our words build worlds but first he starts off in verse 1 with a little bit of a a side teaching and I'm just gonna you know camp on this for just a minute we want to make sure we cover the the whole text teach the whole text so James chapter 3 verse 1 he says that not many of us should become teachers because teachers will be judged more strictly now what is he talking about here Well, I think it's related to the whole idea of of words and that we have a legacy of words. Uh, But, you know, in the ancient world, a a teacher was kind of like a rabbi. And it was a bit of a celebrity position. It was a, you know, position. It was a teacher in the community. And so people would look up to the teacher. And there were some people in the community, apparently, uh, shocking if you can imagine this, that wanted to be a teacher for the wrong reasons. Uh, maybe they wanted to be a teacher because you know that that made you popular. Maybe they wanted to be a teacher because that like solidified your place in the community. Maybe they wanted to be a teacher because you know that would be an easy identity to have. Is like I'm the I'm the teacher. Everybody look at me. But what James says is we should be really careful about being a teacher, especially of God's word. Well, why why is that? And it's because when you're a teacher of the word. It's this idea that God has put a deposit of the gospel, a deposit of the truth about who he is, about his story in the world in you, but it's not for you. He put it in you for the sake of others and that you have this huge responsibility to steward that deposit through your words and to teach people and to guide people into a relationship with Jesus um, what a powerful responsibility that is. And, and it wasn't lost on me this week, um, this idea that not many of us should be teachers, and then here I am coming to be your teacher. And I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you where that took me, because this is important to know, you know, my heart in this is that it led me uh, deeply into a place of repentance and conviction because as I read the rest of this passage about uh, how powerful words are and what a huge responsibility it is to have the message of Jesus and to take that to people, what I realized is I'm so broken. I'm so broken. And there's so, much, so many times that I miss the mark and use my words in a destructive way in the lives of people around me. And, you know, this, this first verse teaching that we should be careful um, about wanting to be teachers really led me to a place of humility. And so it's, it's from that place that I talk to you today. Well, he moves on in verse 2, and he says, basically, this is my summary, that uh, if we could control our, our tongues, we could control our whole body. In other words, uh, it's the hardest of disciplines to discipline ourselves in the way speech, And then there's this great line in verse 2. He says, we all make many mistakes. And I thought, man, is that like the understatement of the century or what? We all make many mistakes. But the deal is that we struggle to control our tongue. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. Why is that? Because it's so easy to talk, isn't it? It's so easy just to say what we're thinking without processing it, without awareness of of people around us. There's a lot of reasons why that's a difficult thing, but I think we can all agree that we all make many mistakes, that many of our mistakes happen to be with our words. Then James moves into uh, the bulk of his teaching, and this is where he really unpacks uh, how is it that words build our worlds around us? Like, what does that look like? And so he first says in verses 3 and 4 that our words are powerful. Our words are powerful. And I don't know about you. Have you ever thought of your words that way? Have you ever thought, man, my words are so powerful. Look out. You know? I don't think we, we really think about things that way. I don't think we think about ourselves as powerful. Certainly not our words as powerful. But yet James gives this, like, really provocative imagery. He first gives the image of a horse, of a, a bit in a horse's mouth. Anybody ridden a horse before, a couple of you guys? I rode a horse one time, I'll never do it again, you have to pay me a lot of money to do it. Um, I was in the army and long story, our unit had horses and I didn't know how to ride a horse and some of the soldiers thought it'd be funny um, to take me out and put me on the biggest, craziest horse that I don't think was super tame and they put me on this thing. And if you've ever like ridden horses with other horses, you know what they do? Um, they, they follow each other. And so a, a bunch of these horses take off with these guys who know how to control the horse. And I'm on like the biggest, most untamable horse. And I don't know what I'm doing. So my horse just takes off and follows the rest of them. And I, I don't exactly know what happened, but all I can tell you is that I ended up in a cornfield hanging off the side of the horse like this. And I'm told that's not the right way that you're supposed to ride. And um, the way you're supposed to do it is there's this little bit in the horse's mouth. It's this tiny little bit in the mouth, and it's, it's connected to the reins, and you're supposed to just like gently tug, and the way you gently tug, right, the horse then knows what your intention is. Hey, I, Gabe wants to go right. We're going to go right. Um, I didn't know this, and it didn't go well for me, but that's the way it's supposed to work. So James gives this imagery that this little bit, right, in the horse's mouth can allow a rider who's much smaller— much less powerful to just gently pull, and then this huge animal will turn and go in the direction that the rider wants to go. He sort of continues this imagery, and he gives the image of a ship. He says, imagine a huge ship and a tiny rudder. You know, the rudder's not very big um, in comparison to the size of a giant ship. But he says, you know, the, the rudder turns just a little bit, and this giant ship turns in the direction that the driver of the ship wants to go. And so there's this idea that in the same way our words are incredibly powerful, that they're like that, that our tongue is small, right? And we don't think of our words as powerful, and yet he says that in the same way a a bit turns a horse or a a rudder turns a ship, in the same way our words uh, turn all of life, actually. And you think about that, and it's true, isn't it? Think about every major decision that you've had in your life. Think about the commitments that you've made. Think about the commitments you've broken. Uh, Think about anything in a relationship, right? And it all goes back to words, conversations. It's it's where we, we bless people and curse people. It's where we commit to things and lie and move out of things. Our words Move all of life, but the deal is, and this is just kind of hit me later as I was studying, is that what, the reason words are so powerful is that they connect our desire to action. They're the thing that connects our desire to action in the same way the rider of the horse has a desire, I want to go left, and, and, and pulls, and this big animal goes this way. In the same way, our words, it's what we, when we want something, when we want to go a certain direction, how do we make that happen? We speak something. We speak something and then things begin to move in the world around us. And so in this way, our words create the world around us. And it's all tied to our desires turning into an action through our words. Well, James goes on to say, you know, because words could be powerful and that could be positive or negative. But he says the problem is words are actually incredibly destructive, verse 5. And he gives this imagery of a tiny spark. And he says, you know, imagine a tiny spark that sets an entire forest on fire. Have you ever seen a forest fire before? It's an incredible thing. We used to live in South Africa in the Cape the uh, Cape Winelands region and it was full of mountains, but it's a very like dry place. In fact, they're in a perpetual drought. And um, every year there'd be fire season. And and one year it was really bad and I don't know if Madeline remembers this or not, but I remember at night it was it looked super cool until you realize like uh-oh, this thing could be coming for our house, is that the entire ridgeline of the mountain over our house was glowing orange because the entire forest behind it was was on fire. And you're just hoping that the firefighters can stop it before this fire comes over the mountain and into our neighborhood and never made it, thank goodness. But later, when they found out kind of, I don't know how they do it, the forensic people go in there and figure out, like, how did this forest fire start It was a guy, somehow they figure out it's a guy with a cigarette on the side of the road. Like he flicks a cigarette, but it's so dry that this little flick of a cigarette out the window sets this entire mountain range on fire and threatens the lives of literally thousands of people. And so James says in the same way, our words are like that, that they're incredible, they have the power and the potential to be incredibly destructive. And I know that you've experienced that in your life at some point. I know that you've been on the receiving end of destructive words. And I just want you to imagine for a second, how did that feel? How did that feel when somebody spoke something to you that just destroyed you? And it probably destroyed you because it was something you already believed about yourself to be true, but you didn't want to admit. But then they said it. And it just confirmed the thing that you hated most about yourself in your heart. You know, growing up, I was um, always overweight. And I carried a ton of shame about that. Um, still do, actually. But I'll never forget, like, being in, in seventh grade and uh, somebody seeing me and, and, and calling me fat in public. And I just remember the destructive nature of that person's words to me because it just confirmed something I already thought about myself, the worst thing I thought. And maybe you've experienced that too. And unfortunately for all of us, we've also been that person, haven't we? We've been that person to say something destructive to somebody else. And maybe we didn't mean it in the moment or whatever. Maybe we had a reason, maybe that person was really annoying or we really ticked off, or there's all these circumstances, but the bottom line is we opened our mouth and destruction came out. And it confirmed something in someone that they hated about themselves and it tore down something beautiful in their lives. You see, our words have the power to be incredibly destructive. And so our words build the world around us, but sometimes the world that we're building around us isn't a world that we actually want to live in. Well, James goes on, he says, not only are our words powerful and destructive, if that wasn't bad enough, they're also uncontrollable. He says, no one can tame the tongue. He says, it is a world of wickedness. And he goes through this list and says, you know, you can tame anything else. And it, I, was, I actually laughed out loud. It says, you can even tame a fish. And I thought, I don't, see, I don't know what that means. Uh, like, how do you tame a fish? Are they, is it, did they have goldfish back then? Is that tame? I don't know. Um, point is, our words are incredibly, our speech is incredibly hard to control. Um, and he says, no one can tame their tongue. And just sit with that a second. No one can tame the tongue. Well, if no one can tame the tongue, why are we even having this conversation? If it's impossible, if it's like, look, you're done. You're gonna destroy people. Your tongue is incredibly powerful. You're gonna use your words and it's gonna tear apart your world. You're like, why are we even here? Why don't we just go back to bed? Because that's bad news. But the good news is that no one can tame the tongue except for God himself. We're going to get to that. You see, all is lost without Jesus in our lives, and that's the point. This is discipleship, that we find life in Jesus, and that when we connect to his power, remember, he is the vine, we're the branches. When we're connected to him, all things are possible, including controlling our speech. So for those of us who call ourselves Christian, this is a powerful challenge today, that what is impossible in your flesh, what is impossible in the world, is possible in this community. And we ought not to take a a, a second best when it comes to our speech. We ought to hold one another accountable that we should control our speech with one another. And some of us powerfully struggle with that. And some of us make a lot of excuses for that and, you, and say, you know, I just, I, just, I just say what I'm thinking as if that's a valiant thing. It's not a valiant thing. It's a destructive thing. As Jesus followers, we ought to follow in the Lord's footsteps and control our speech, not by our own power, but by the power he's given us. Lastly, James says... Not only are our words powerful, destructive, uncontrollable, but they're also very revealing. In verses 9 through 12, he paints, there's a lot of imagery there, but he basically says, you know, out of the same mouth can come both blessings and curses. And then he gives this imagery of trees and like salt water and fresh water. And his point is this, is, is that out of the same mouth come blessings and curses, right? That, that, that. He says, you can bless God who made you, right? But then you can turn around and you can curse people made in the image of God. And you do it with the same heart and the same mouth, and it should not be so. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, he says, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And, and for me, friends, like this is what really convicted me as I was studying this week, as I thought about, you know, I just became hyper aware this week of all the times I was using my words in a destructive way. And, you know, sometimes it was like overtly destructive, like yelling at somebody in the car that I was mad at or whatever. Other times it was just being really critical of my family over really dumb things, Right. And then other times it was more a sin of omission, like I had an opportunity to speak life to somebody and I just didn't because I was too busy or too focused on myself or whatever. But I just became hyper aware this week of all the places that I fall short in this. And this just cut me to the quick that the God who spoke everything into existence in the universe made me as a conduit to speak blessing to others. That his intention for giving me words and a mouth and a heart and a life was to be his ambassador in a dark and dying world. That where I would go, where I would speak, would be where he would speak life. And so it is with you too. Did you know that's God's plan to bless your neighborhood, to bless your family, to bless your spouse, to bless people in the workplace, to bless that server at lunch this afternoon You know, God's plan to bless is you. But God help us because we fall short. Because out of that same mouth that has the capacity to bless, we also curse. And we discourage and we undermine and we steal life instead of give it. And I just pray that God would break us. That he'd give us this vision of heaven. That he would give us this sense that he's with us and that we have this capacity to speak life. I want to leave you with this idea that your words will echo through eternity. Did you know that? Did you know that your life will ripple through eternity like a pebble in a pond that sends ripples out? That somehow in the mystery of God, the things that we do and the things that we say somehow ripple out. And so the question is where are they rippling? Are they rippling in heaven where the angels are rejoicing and singing when you're speaking a blessing to your child or your spouse or your neighbor or a stranger? Or are they rippling in hell? where they just become echoes of destruction and darkness and death. Each day we have a choice, my friends, and which which will it be? Well, we're gonna move now into an opportunity for repentance. And I don't know about you, but this message of words, of our capacity to bless, but our propensity to curse, just leads me to a place of conviction and repentance do you know what that word repentance means it means turning away from something and turning towards another thing and so it's not just a message of just stop doing that stop being bad and stop using your words in a destructive way but it's a message of turn away from that and turn towards something that's beautiful and good and turning towards a something is turning towards the Lord Jesus because I wanna invite you to this, is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but would have eternal life. And so today, friends, I wanna invite you, the people of God, to the table of God. Did you know that one day we will sit at a table with the risen Jesus, that will break bread, that words will be spoken. Have you ever thought about the words that'll be spoken? I would just submit to you, I don't know what they're gonna be, but I can tell you this, there'll be words of life, words of blessing, Be the words that you always long to hear about yourself. So today I want to invite you to this table and it's a space to remember, to remember the life of the Lord Jesus, to remember the words that he spoke over humanity, to remember the death that he died, that you wouldn't be just lost and stuck in curses, but that you'd be invited in as a beloved son or a beloved daughter,